Oh, hello. You're, uh, you're probably here about the, uh, the story. Elves love to tell stories. I bet you didn't know that about elves. There's a, probably a lot of things you, you didn't know about elves. Hello, ho, ho, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And as you may have already guessed, this is our wacky, wonderful, wild Christmas episode slash holiday episode for those of you who may not celebrate Christmas. And I think we're going to have some fun tonight. Wouldn't you agree, Phil? Bah, humbug. <laughs> You're not going to have any fun. You're going to be a Scrooge. No, I'm going to love it. I love Christmas. It's <laughs> one of the most magical, wonderful times of the year. Yeah, you know, I think um, yeah, I think somebody yeah. should write a song like that. Yeah, no. You know, because you, when you put it like that, it just makes me think like this would make a good song. Yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. yeah, I think that has I think that has a hit song written all over it. Yeah, it's funny though. The other day as well, I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> now I know for a fact that your mom listens to this podcast, Phil. So you oh, got to yeah. be careful. Yeah, yeah. sorry, mom. <laughs> Don't want to cause any any problems in the homestead. There it was my dad. He was dressed as Father Christmas. Oh, all right. Well, that's okay then. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is our uh, this is our holiday episode. It's going to be all Christmas themed. We have uh, a couple of Christmas movies, a Christmas mini feature, and our top ten Christmas movies. But Phil, you can give some more details on exactly what we're going to be talking about. So why don't you share with our listeners what we have in store? Yes, we will be going after the ending of 2003's Elf. We all know that one. Will Ferrell, eating lots of sugar. Um, but first, we'll be going after the ending of the 1946 Frank Capra classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Don't really need to say any more about either of those films because you know all about them. We've got a, a Mighty Morphing mini feature involving Father Christmas or Santa Claus or Saint Nick or whatever you want to call him. And our top 10 films are the top 10 Christmas films of the 1990s which was surprisingly hard to, to do, to be honest. <laughs> Boy, I, yeah, it really was. It's going to be, it's a thin list, man, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely may have cheated on a few picks, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to say the least. Yeah, yeah lots, <laughs> lots, of, lots of Christmas films in the 90s, but lots of really bad Christmas films. Yeah, I may be. You know what, you know what we haven't had in a while is uh, Mike's controversial opinion of the week. Remember that? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's probably going to come out, that's probably going to come out uh, in this episode because when we get to the 90s <laughs> Christmas movies, there, there are some beloved films that I absolutely can't stand. So uh, I'm not going to reveal which ones now, but uh, they will be coming and I'm sure people will be less than thrilled with me. But Excellent. And I, I look forward to reading my list out and just hearing you after each one <laughs> yes. go, oh, are you kidding me? People will heap praise upon you for your, for your movie taste <laughs> and they will scorn me and say, how could you not like my favorite movie of all time? Uh, so, oh, it's going to be interesting. Should though. be fun. Should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and start with It's a Wonderful Life. I will say, um, before we get started, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, volunteered to to do the synopsis for this one because as I was reading the synopsis, just to refresh my memory, I got like tears in my eyes just from yeah. reading the synopsis of the film. So if I had to deliver it, I don't know that I'd make it through all the way. This is a film that gets me really emotional, which I know isn't hard to do. Oh, me too. It gets me every time. I've seen it every, I've seen it so many times and I always have a, a bit of a cry at the end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Christmas films, but it's also one of my favorite films of all time as well. Uh, exactly. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, I've, tried, I've just done a brief synopsis compared to previous episodes because, we, as we said before, everybody knows the film. Yeah. And if you don't know it, go and watch it. Right. It's because it's a... Uh, it's a classic. Yeah, you get, if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. I know it's one of those yeah. things that's cliched, like, oh, it's a wonderful life. It's on at Christmas time. I'm so tired of it. But I think a lot of people say that and haven't ever actually watched it. Um, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. really such a great film. So if you're one of those people who thinks they don't like it because they haven't seen it, 
do yourself a favor and, and watch it. Yeah, because it's often people have like seen like the first half or the last half or bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, I think a lot of people have seen bits and pieces. Like, they, you yeah. know, they catch 10 minutes of it at Christmas time. They're like, eh, I've seen it. But when you watch it start to finish, man, it, it is fantastic. So definitely yeah, it really is. Take, take a look, re- revisit it if you haven't seen it in a long time. Okay, It's a Wonderful Life, 1946, directed by Frank Capra, starring James Stewart and Donna Reed. And it's based on the short story, The Greatest Gift, by Philip Van Doren Stern, or Van Doren Stern. It starts where in the heavens of the cosmos where some angels are looking down on Earth because people in a town called Bedford Falls are, playing, are praying for a man called George Bailey, who's at the end of his tether. But uh, George Bailey, we find out, is a man who, due to various circumstances, has given up on his dreams and the various plans he's had in life in order to help others in his family and in the town of Bedford Falls. Uh, after his uncle loses some money from the building and loans company, George plans to kill himself on Christmas Eve because his life insurance will cover the lost lost money and therefore, you know, cover the debts that people had and everybody be, be well apart from George. However, his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody, played by Henry Travers, turns up and shows George that all the lives he touched and how different life would be in Bedford Falls if George had never been born. George comes to realise that he's better off living and returns home to face the consequences. However, his family, friends and townsfolk arrive and give what they can and the lost money is recovered and all is well in the, in the world. And then we, we, end, we end the film with this. And uh, one of George Bailey's kids tells him that they learned that every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings and George Bailey realises that Clarence has finally got his wings up in heaven. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Such a great film. Yeah, Dan Howard is good, isn't it? It is. So many, so many brilliant moments. It's just a great, just the way it just could, you know goes through his life and showing how this this man had such an effect on everyone. Yeah. Just little snippets. I just love the whole town and the, the set and all the supporting actors are really good. Yeah. And James Stewart has, has never been better. I mean, he's just he's truly terrific in this movie. Oh yeah, really. He's. I mean, I'd like to say it was written for him, but it was apparently written originally for Cary Grant. Well, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, but even if it wasn't written for him, it was definitely meant for yeah. him. Yeah, was, yes, yeah, totally. He just he owns it, and he just – I think it was his favorite film role as well. I'm sure I, he said I in the think, interview. I think I may recall hearing that at some point. Yeah. But that's It's a Wonderful Life. All right. Uh, yeah, I want to watch it right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what have you got for your day after? All right, so when Mr. Potter hears that the Bailey building and loan has been saved, despite his efforts, he is apoplectic. He loses his temper and gets so mad he has a heart attack and dies. And let's just say he doesn't meet Clarence the Angel, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Bailey family celebrate a very happy Christmas. The business is saved, George is happy again, and the townspeople all have a renewed sense of Christmas spirit. Clarence has gotten his wings and is now an angel first class. Shortly after Christmas, a car slips on the ice and careens onto the sidewalk as George is nearby. The car is heading right for a family, but George manages to push them out of the way just in time, and everyone is safe. George invites the family over to recover from their near miss, and they all enjoy it. I thought you were going to say that George got hit by the car then. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not uh, not doing that. You're the one who likes to kill off all the main characters. I only kill people like Walter Subcheck when he gets hit by a bus. You know if it's a bus, then you know someone's going to die. Yeah, I was wondering whether everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, I was at the visions of going to be that bus man again. (laughs) No, no, he's he's not in this picture. So I can't sort of go and carry on. So George invites the family over to recover from their near miss, and they all enjoy a wonderful evening together. The family, a man named Martin King, his wife Alberta, and their young teenage son, Martin Luther Jr., thank George for his hospitality and tell George that he made their Christmas vacation to Bedford Falls a memorable one. 
The whole event catches Clarence's eye, and even though he's got a lot of responsibilities now, he decides to keep an eye on George, who he's developed a bit of a soft spot for. And that's my day after. Wow. Okay. Some big names in that. Well, you know, I kind of I like the idea of like you know the 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 actions that George takes has have this positive influence on the world. So I thought, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe he maybe he inadvertently saved somebody who was destined to go on for greatness. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So let's okay. hear what you've got then. Tell us about your day after. Okay. George is still dumbstruck by what, his, what he was shown by Clarence, and even more so by the generosity of his friends and townsfolk. The night before, turned into a huge Christmas party, making everyone happier than ever. The next day, once all the presents are opened, George spends time with his wife and children. He just sits and watches them and realises how lucky he is and how stupid he would have been if he hadn't gone through with uh, the suicide attempt. He talks a little to Mary about what happened about the missing money and his fears, but he doesn't say an angel showed him an alternate reality. Instead, he says a kindly man named Clarence sat and spoke with him and helped clear his mind and put everything in perspective. In the meantime, old man Potter, to cover himself, or maybe he was visited by three spirits in the night, <laughs> he has one of his men post the missing money back into the empty building and loans but office. After Christmas dinner, George goes to the office with the money everyone gave and finds the parcel of missing money just inside the door, and he thanks Clarence once more. And that's my day after. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice indeed. And what about your immediate aftermath? Okay. Well, over the next few years, George and Mary continue to lead a happy life. They raise their four children, Janie, Zuzu, Pete, and Tommy, and ensure that each of them grow up to be kind, caring souls and productive members of society. Janie grows up to be a school teacher who teaches science, and several of her students go on to become scientists who help cure diseases and create alternative fuels. Tommy grows up to be a judge, and his rulings further the efforts of civil rights and equality in the country. Zuzu becomes a writer who wins the Nobel Prize for Literature and the Nobel Peace Prize for her activism in using her writing as a platform to promote peace. And Pete goes into the army, following in the footsteps of his uncle, and he becomes a decorated hero who saves many lives. As George and Mary start to grow old, they remain in love and happy, and while their kids spread out across their globe in their own lives, they always come back to Bedford Falls to visit their mom and dad every Christmas. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Very nice. Seems like everything is going hunky-dory. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, but knowing you, I can't see it going all... <laughs> well, we'll Ooh, see. It is a wonderful now. life after all, so maybe I decided yeah. to not go to... You know, whatever. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what the, we'll see okay. what the future holds. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, how about your immediate aftermath, then, Phil? Okay. Well, uh, ever since the uh, the that Christmas, George makes sure that he rings a bell at least once a day for as long as he lives for the rest of his life, he, and he, he always makes sure his kids do the same as well. They're never quite sure, apart from Zuzu. She knows why they ring a bell, but he makes that. That's one of his things he does. But life goes on. George barely makes sure that everyone in town gets back the money they donated for that Christmas, and the building and loans keeps on being successful. Everyone in town knows that if they're stuck, it is a place they can turn to. No questions asked, and, and George Bailey is an honourable man. One day a customer thanks George and says he should run for mayor. It's something he'd never thought of, but he runs and wins in a landslide. A few months later, he runs for state governor and also wins. He begins to bring in changes that will benefit the whole state. Affordable housing, banking regulations and the like. And he begins to make a change, a proper change. And George being George... He makes sure that it's always for the benefit of others. Mary is also busy, not just with raising the kids, but she gets involved in various charities and also pushes for more libraries in all the towns and cities nearby. And that's my immediate aftermath. I like it. I can see George being, a, you know, like an honorable politician. Yeah, I, it's, I just, and I could just see him just leaping up, you know, be a silly close time scale. He'd go from one to the other because he'd be so popular. Right. People like him. Right. Know. 
I do. I do. However, I will say I do appreciate your uh, perception of the American election system, where he can become yeah, mayor and then just a few months later he can run for governor. I, <laughs> I realize that I just stick to the time, but you know I wanted to fit it all in. But yeah. no, no, I know. I'm just I'm just joking with you. It's fine. It's 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 Capra politics. That's right. Say. That's right. Exactly. It's well, you know, it's sped up for movie time. I I get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, we just we just won't have a won't have a date on the film bit when that happens. Right, exactly. <laughs> and what about your long term? Okay, bring well, it on home. So over the years, Clarence watches George and realizes that his presence has inadvertently helped prevent one disaster after another. One Christmas in the new century, as George approaches his one hundredth birthday, Clarence decides to look back and see what the world would have been like if he hadn't saved George's life. What he sees horrifies him. This terrible new world is filled with atrocities. A great president, two civil rights leaders, and a popular senator are all assassinated in the 1960s. A terrible war in Eastern Asia takes countless lives in the 1970s. The world's greatest musical act breaks up, and a few years later, one of the most popular members is killed by a madman. A medical epidemic ravages the world in the 1980s. A shooting at a high school claims dozens of innocent lives and sparks off a rash of violent acts in the 1990s. A day of terrorism changes the face of the world in the early 2000s. In the 2010s, acts of violence, racism, and homophobia have the world constantly on edge. Just as Clarence glimpses the rise to power of a world leader who will bring about the end of the world, he can't take it anymore and brings his vision to a screeching halt. He looks down at his earth, one in which peace and goodwill toward men are everywhere, and he breathes a sigh of relief. He's extremely thankful that George Bailey graced the world with his presence. Clarence raises his glass of eggnog and says, Merry Christmas, George. Down in Bedford Falls, as the elderly George sits by the fire with Mary, his kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids, he hears one of the children ring a bell. He looks up towards the heavens and quietly says, Merry Christmas, Clarence. And that's It's a Wonderful Life for me. Oh, very good. Thank you. Oh, pa- powerful as well. Thank you. A little, uh, yeah. Yeah, a little sobering maybe, but uh, yeah. yeah, we can always hope that that, I think that world leader, you know, that must be like 20, 30, 40, 50 years away from now. Can't be anybody. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was purely that was purely speculation. I mean, you know, there's yeah. no correlation to the real world there whatsoever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, very good. I like that. Thank you. All right. Well, let's see what you've got then. Bring us home on your ending. Yeah. We all, we all need a George Bailey, don't we? I think we do. I think the world yeah. could use a little more George Bailey these days, to be honest with you. Definitely. Okay. Well, my long term. George is now a congressman, and in the corridors of power, he is well respected. At first, his good intentions and in caring for others was thought of as a naivety, but his peers soon found that he had a core like iron. He could not be bought or corrupted, and they begin to realise that if George Bailey is, is bringing in a new law or act or whatever, then it's usually the right way to go. For example, he pushes through a new library bill that ensures funding for libraries in every town and city. Bedford Falls builds a new one, and they want to call it the George Bailey Library. However, he refuses and asks if it could be named after Clarence Oddbody. Uh, they're not sure exactly who Clarence Oddbody is because he's not in the town records, but it goes ahead and the library is still there to this day. George and Mary have a long and happy life together. Their kids grow up and do wonderful things and have many grandkids who George and Mary dote on. Years later, George is retired from politics. Sadly, Mary passed away a few years before. George was heartbroken, but he carried on as he always did. Uh, it's a nice summer's day and he is sat in the garden reading a book. The kids and grandkids had just left after visiting and he hears a voice. Hello, George. It's been a while. It's Clarence. Clarence, good to see you, George. Wishes up and hugs his old friend. George gets them both some iced tea and they talk for a while. Clarence thanks George for the tea and then stands. He smiles at George and suddenly reveals his wings in all their glory. Come on, George, it's time to go, says Clarence. What do you mean, asks George. Clarence points behind him. 
George turns and sees himself lying on the garden chairs of asleep. George nods and takes Clarence's hand. Mary's waiting for you, says Clarence. The end. Ah, Phil, you brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> Actually, it is when I was writing it. I just, uh-huh. I just when I, yeah, I was just I was writing on the train yesterday, and I was suddenly going, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> well, you see, I but I think that is the mark of not only a good ending, but also a great movie when the characters, you know, have that yeah, much of an yeah. impact, and and they're so memorable and such a part of your life that you know you can write this fake ending for them, <laughs> and it still brings a yeah. tear to your eye. Uh, yeah, I was just I, pitch, I was pitching James Stewart and Cla- and Clarence, just yeah. Yeah, and you know, and Mary waiting for him and stuff, you know, very nice, beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll just do this again one more time. Very nice. I think we can all we can all agree that an angel just got its wings. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Ah, yes, such a good film. It is indeed. Uh, well, do you have any wonderful trivia for us? I do. Uh, in the scene when Uncle Billy drunkenly leaves the Bailey home and he walks off screen, it sounds like he walks into some bins or something. In fact, a crew member dropped a tray of props as the actor Thomas Mitchell went off screen. James Stewart laughed and Mitchell improvised, I'm all right, I'm okay. And Frank Capra liked it so much he left it in. Huh, that's awesome. Yeah, I do like that. It's, uh, I didn't realize that. but Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, nice. Frank Capra had hired a marksman to shoot the window out when Donna Reed threw a rock at the windows of the old Granville home. However, Reed threw the rock straight and true, breaking the window herself because she played a lot of baseball when she was younger. Huh. That's cool. Yeah, the Bedford Falls set covered four acres of RKO's Encino Ranch. Wow. It had, 70, yeah, it had 75 stores and buildings. The main street was 300 yards long and also involved 20 transplanted mature oak trees. Jeez. Yeah, as we already said, the film was originally developed at another studio for Cary Grant. Uh, they also developed a new fake snow for the film. It's uh, something called Fomite, soap and water. Because before that, in films, they'd used crunched up cornflakes painted white, which obviously caused a lot of noise, meaning the dialogue had to be uh, redubbed. But this new fake snow went on to become an industry standard for a long time. Huh. The whole film was shot in 90 days. And the kid who turned the key that opened up the swimming pool uh, was an uncredited Carl Switzer, who apparently played Alf Alpha in The Little Rascals. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And also, 42 bells ring over the course of the film, meaning 42 angels get their wings. Very nice. That's, uh, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life, and it's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Very cool. All right, well, now we can lighten things up a little bit, and let's move on to Elf. Hey, what's your name? My name's Buddy. The uh, Will Ferrell classic, I think also equally a classic, just like It's a Wonderful Life, albeit in a different way. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a cracking comedy Christmas movie. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite, favorite Christmas movies and one of my favorite comedies, really. It's just such a funny movie. I've seen it a million times and every time I watch it, which is every every year. We, we've made it a family tradition to watch Elf every Christmas. And um, and I still laugh hysterically at all the same parts. It just never it never gets old for me. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just, it is great to watch. Yeah. So many good moments. Indeed. Yeah, so do you want to give us a rundown, quick rundown on what goes on in the film? All right, so Elf, 2003, directed by Jon Favreau, starring Will Ferrell, Zoe Deschanel, James Caan, Bob Newhart, Peter Dinklage, Mary Steenburgen, and Andy Richter. So Buddy, played by Will Ferrell, is a human living at the North Pole who thinks he's an elf. When Buddy's father, Papa Elf, played by Bob Newhart, tells him the truth, Buddy heads off to New York in search of his real father, Walter Hobbs, played by James Caan, a caustic, overworked man who works at a book publishing company. 
Buddy shows up at Walter's office, tells him he's his son, and ends up going home with Walter, where he meets his wife, Emily, played by Mary Steenburgen, and his young teenage-ish son, Michael. During the days, he hangs out at Macy's in his elf costume and meets Jovi, played by Zoe Deschanel, an employee who sings and he takes an instant liking to. He and Jovi start to date tentatively. Uh, Buddy works his way into Walter's family, and Michael comes out of his shell a little bit thanks to Buddy. When Walter loses his temper because Buddy costs him a job by Miles Finch, a famous author, played by Peter Dinklage, Buddy (laughs) runs away and Michael goes to Walter for help. Uh, Walter has to leave a Christmas Eve meeting and loses his job in doing so to find Buddy. Buddy, meanwhile, is in Central Park because he saw Santa's sleigh go down. On the run from Central Park Rangers, Buddy, Walter, and Michael help Santa, while Jovi gets the crowd to sing Christmas carols and boost the Christmas spirit to get Santa flying again. As the film ends, we see that Walter has started his own book company. His first book is Buddy's children book, Elf, which tells his story. And Buddy and Jovi have a baby and visit Papa Elf at the North Pole. Excellent. You covered that very well. Thanks. Again, yeah. keeping it to the broad strokes. I think most people yeah. have seen this movie by now, but just a little reminder for you there as to what happens if you haven't seen it, if you don't watch it every single year like I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Phil, why don't you kick things off then and give us your day after? Okay, while visiting Santa, Buddy goes for a walk. He leaves Jovi and the baby with, at Santa's place. Uh, Buddy is incredibly happy, happier than he's ever been. Distracted by his daydreaming, he realises he is in a part of Christmas land that he's never been to before. It's a wooded area, and he wanders some more and comes across a strange circle of trees. Each has a door carved and painted in different shapes, such as a, a big egg, a heart, a turkey, and another one has a pumpkin with a face on it. Buddy, being Buddy, opens them all up, and they all have some weird whirly kind of thing behind each one. A bit freaked out by it, he backs away but trips over a branch, trips and falls into the pumpkin through the pumpkin doorway. Halloween Town doesn't know what's hit it. <laughs> that's my day after. Uh, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm very excited to see what happens with Buddy in Halloween Town. Thank you. Okay, what have you got for your day after? <laughs> All right. Well, after they return from the North Pole, Buddy continues to write, starting his next children's book called Santa Doesn't Smell Like Beef and Cheese. Jovi, cont- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, one of my favorite like lines from the movie. This yeah. is one of those movies that I can quote, I mean, all day long, so. That would be a great title for a kid's Right? Book. I think so. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you stink. You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. You sit on a throne of lies. Uh, Jovi continues to work at Macy's, but with Buddy's encouragement, she begins preparing to record a vocal demo and pursue a music career. Walter signs another author, a woman named Georgette Bailey, whose grandmother was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Life seems pretty normal, and the entire Hobbs-slash-Buddy clan is pretty happy. One day, shortly after Thanksgiving, Buddy receives a message from Papa Elf. Santa Claus has disappeared, and Christmas is in jeopardy. (sighs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Son of a nutcracker. (laughs) So that's where I'll leave things for now. A little suspense oh, in the elf. Oh, no. okay. Oh, I hope Santa's okay. Yeah, well. Santa, if you're out there, I'm rooting for you, man. <laughs> Phil's on your side, but don't worry. I'm on yeah. your side, too. Oh, God. Oof. All right. So why don't you go ahead and give us your immediate aftermath? Okay. Buddy recalls Santa telling him about a time that he was kidnapped by creepy kids, but Buddy always thought it was made up. However, the past few days in Halloween Town have shown him that it was all true. All of the residents are terrified by Buddy and have now locked themselves in their homes. His unending cheerfulness is terrifying to them. (laughs) Buddy wanders the streets, calling out, singing songs, trying to get some friends, but he ends up at the home of Jack Skellington, who'd been oblivious to what's been going on up until now. Upon seeing Buddy, Jack is ecstatic, as he still loves Christmas, but he just doesn't get the chance to 
to do it as much as you wanted to. But Jack brings him in, and there they talk about all things Christmas, and Jack tells Buddy about the events involving Santa years before. However, they are interrupted by a knock on the door. It's another elf who's come from Christmas Town saying that there was big trouble. And that's my immediate aftermath. Mm. Uh-oh, I hope Santa hasn't disappeared. No, we'll have to wait and see. All right. <laughs> could this be our first crossover? Could, yeah, right? Crossover? Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> Okay, what about uh, what, what have you got for your immediate aftermath? All right, well, Buddy is overwrought with word that Santa has disappeared. Santa! He wails. <laughs> Jovi knows what she has to do. She asks Walter and Emily to watch baby Susie while they go to the North Pole to investigate. So they walk through the Lincoln Tunnel, journey through the sea of swirly-twirly gumdrops, pass <laughs> through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, and finally arrive at the North Pole. I love that. I love that's how we got from, uh, from Christmas to... Uh... From the North Pole to New York. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was a brilliant way of doing it. Absolutely. Because, of course, you know, you have to go through the, you know, the swirly-twirly gumdrops, but also the Lincoln yeah. Tunnel. I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm, that's what I mean. I'm glad they got the direction so spot on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. Do, you do not want to take a Otherwise, left turn at the wrong place. Yeah. It would have, it would have pulled me right out of it. Right. right. If they got it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, once they arrive, Buddy sets to work investigating Santa's disappearance. While Jovi and Papa Elf interrogate the elves to see if any of them had a grudge against Santa, Buddy explores Santa's workshop. Next to Santa's workbench, he discovers a drop of maple syrup on the floor. <clears throat> Looking closely, he realizes there's another drop a couple of feet away. It's a trail of maple syrup, and Buddy begins to follow it. It takes him past a stockpile of jack-in-the-boxes, through a warehouse of etch-a-sketches, and finally leads him to Santa and Mrs. Claus's cottage. He peers through the window and sees Santa Claus lying unconscious on the floor, a shadowy figure standing above him with her foot raised high, about to stomp on Santa. Oh, no. I know. I keep okay. ratcheting up the suspense, right? Yeah, it's escalating now. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So while we're waiting to see how that all plays out, Phil, why don't you share your long term? I want to see how this all wraps up. Okay. My long term. Because Buddy opened up all of the holiday world doors at the same time, there's been a major holiday crossover crisis. People on Earth are totally confused as they are constantly bombarded by Easter eggs, Christmas presents, scary things, turkeys trying to get away, you name it, you know, little, you know, St. Patrick's kind of, whatever holiday things there are, just, it's all mixed up, it's a, it's a total mess, people don't know where they're coming or going. It soon escalates to a holiday war with the different uh, factions vying for supremacy. Buddy realises that all the children of Earth are getting scared, that's something needs to be done. Through some talking, getting around, doing some deals and things, he manages to get all the various leaders of the holidays together to talk about it and try and get it sorted out. Nobody can agree, so Buddy, with the blessing of Santa, challenges them all to a competition. The winner then gets to tell all the others what to do. The competition, Buddy decrees, is to eat as many sweets and sugary things as they can. <laughs> Buddy wins. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. And before he throws up, he tells everyone to go back home to their worlds. The holidays have been saved. Buddy is a hero. Yeah. <laughs> very nice <laughs> i like that yeah i'm pretty sure buddy would win that contest against pretty much anybody yeah even i could just see like the easter bunny and i'm just going what how's he eating all this? Right, right. <laughs> makes no sense we have all the chocolate exactly <laughs> oh, that's great uh and the tooth fairy just be going around just smacking everyone yeah. saying what are you doing yeah, the tooth fairy would be like in heaven though because they're eating all that candy oh yeah she's getting know. yeah she's getting all the teeth that's yeah. right oh yeah i didn't think of that way okay well that's my long term what about your long term what's happened to santa we need to know kids a crying here. Well, I'm here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal all now. So here we go. Buddy bursts in and tackles the mysterious shadowy figure. They fall to Hurrah! the floor in a heap, tripping over Santa's body, and all end up tangled together. Son of a nutcracker. What in the name of fruitcake is going on here? 
It's Santa Claus. It turns out he wasn't unconscious. He was just laying on the floor. And his mysterious assailant turns out to be Mrs. Claus. This sounds like it's going in one direction, and, and it's not. It's not going in that direction. I have, this isn't going to get a bit kinky, is it? The key is very PG. I wasn't, very yeah, PG. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. No. Uh, but he's confused. Why were you about to stomp on Santa, he asked Mrs. Claus. I'm not making it any better, am I? No. Oh, God. I'm just wondering what she's going to do with the candy case. <laughs> I wasn't, she replied. I was just about to stand on his back. It's the only way to work the kinks out after 12 hours on the workbench. Poor Santa's back gets all worked up into knots this time of year. But but I thought Santa had disappeared, Buddy explains. Ho, 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 Santa says. I think there's been a miscommunication, Buddy. I did ask the elves to call you to come visit, and that I might be unavailable for a little while when you first got here, but I haven't disappeared. Santa goes on to explain that he thinks it's time for him to retire, and he wants Buddy to take his place as the new Santa Claus. Buddy is honored, and of course he wants to accept, but he also wants to raise his daughter in the human world and continue his life with Jovi. So telecommute, Santa says. Everyone is doing it these days. <laughs> they decide that Buddy will oversee the North Pole operations via Elfstant Messenger and Santa Skype during the year so he can be a good dad and husband and also continue to write, and then he'll come to supervise in person between Thanksgiving and Christmas and deliver the presents on Christmas Eve. So Buddy agrees to become the new Santa, and everyone rejoices. He shares the good news with Jovi and Papa Elf, and the North Pole throws a party that goes the whole night. And Buddy goes on to revolutionize the way the North Pole is run, becoming one of the greatest Santa Clauses in history. Oh, I like it. And that's the end. Thank you. I'm glad it didn't go a certain way. <laughs> As I was reading, I was like, geez, when is this going to not sound like I'm being yeah. completely inappropriate? <laughs> that would have been a whole different Christmas movie. Yes. Yes, it would. Oh, I, I just thought of another mini feature we could have had, you know, Christmas porn names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, that would probably be um, not not that hard to come up with some good ones, but uh, maybe pushing our, our PG-13 limit, our rating, just well, a little got, bit. you got Jingle All the Way already. That's all yeah. you need to do, Jingle All the Way. That's, That's right. Yeah. Don't have to change anything. No, no, you really don't. You really don't. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there. We won't go down that route. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Don't realize madness. No comment. Um, all right. Well, there you go. So uh, so what about uh, trivia for Elf, Phil? You got some for us? Okay. Will Farrell's in a porn version of Elf. No, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, man. It's our Christmas episode. It's supposed yeah. to be wholesome and festive. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, Will Farrell turned down $29 million to be in Elf 2 back in 2013. Did he really? Yeah, apparently, that's, apparently so. That's insane. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's good I, I quite, insane. It's just crazy. Yeah. I guess he doesn't really um, need the money, you know, huh? Sticking to his... It must have been... I can, I could see cool? him only returning if the script was amazing. Right. Probably for the best because, I, you know, a sequel just would, probably wouldn't be as good. I mean, we've seen Anchorman 2. We know what could happen. Yeah, I think yeah. Elf is a perfect movie as it is and, and doesn't need a second one. I think that's probably it because he realizes that it has become a Christmas classic. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Will Farrell also suffered with headaches throughout filming due to all the sugary foods he ate. Really? I could see that. Uh, Interesting. Uh, the designs for Santa's workshop and the elf uniforms come from 1964's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer animated special. And I think you see some of that with the animated figures at the start, don't you? Right, yep, yep. Voice actor Maurice LaMarche, he did Buddy's 12-second belch. Yes, that's right. And actually, uh, I interviewed him when uh, Zootopia came out and uh, for the show as a mini feature. And I even asked him about that belch. It's in one of our previous episodes, uh, which was probably, I'm going to say, sometime around episode... 15 or so, go digging through the past ones. You'll find it. If you want to hear the story behind the 12-second belch and how Maurice LaMarche did the the actual recording for that, check out our our interview in episode... 
episode 16, you'll find. So yeah, episode 16, where we interviewed, uh, we had Channing Tatum and Maurice LaMarche, and he talks about that belch so you can hear the story behind it. Did you hear that? Yeah, and if you have people are going, well, who's this Maurice guy? He's the guy who did the voice of the brain from Pinky in the Brain. He gone from the real Ghostbusters and hundreds and hundreds of other voices in lots of cartoons and animated movies. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great interview. He's a good bloke. Okay, and we've also got the exterior shot of Buddy's dad's apartment. Uh, shows that it is the same building that Dana Barrett lives in in Ghostbusters. Ah, uh, yes. And I think I realised that when I saw it the first time. Right. Jim Carrey was attached to Star when the screenplay emerged back in 1993. So that would have been a different kind of film. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have been a big, as big a fan. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably would have liked it. Uh, and all the names on Santa's list, I think we, we get a good look at it near the end of the film. They're all people who worked on the movie. Oh, that's cool. Which is a nice little touch. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Elf. Very nice. All right. Well, those are our endings for It's a Wonderful Life and Elf. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts or your suggestions for your endings, and we will tell you how you can reach out to us a little bit later in the episode. For now, though, let's move on to our Mighty Morphing mini feature. Yes, this time we're going Christmas. <laughs> Shocking, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, Phil, why don't you tell people what today's mini feature is all about? This one's called A Stocking Full of Santas, and Mike and I have just picked a couple of our favorite big screen Examples of Father Christmas. Yes, yeah, I think uh, I think this should be fun. Always good to see a, a really good presentation of a Santa Claus on screen. One of my picks might be it's not the normal Father Christmas, but I just thought because I like the way they they did it, what they did with it. So, but anyway, okay. So you want to give uh, one of yours first? Sure thing. Yes. Well, my first pick is Edmund Gwynn from the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street uh, from nineteen forty seven, and uh, you know. You, you actually, it's funny because you sort of quoted me in a way earlier when you mentioned It's a Wonderful Life. You said it's not just one of your favorite Christmas movies, but it's one of your favorite movies of all time. And that's exactly what I tell people about Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, it's it's hands down my favorite Christmas movie. And, and it is one of my absolute favorite movies ever. I, I just think it's so wonderful. And I think Edmund Gwynn is, is just terrific as Chris Kringle. You know, he's 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 warm and he's funny and he's charming yeah. and he's caring, but he has that real Santa Claus spirit to him. Like, you know, you watch him on screen and you just, you know, he's you never doubt that he is Santa Claus, you know. And Yeah, uh, you, to you totally buy into it, don't you? He is he is Father Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. You know, and I think I think that if you know if Santa is watching these movies, where obviously people play interpretations of him, he's going to look at some and think, "Well, I really like this actor," and he's look at some of the other ones and think, "I don't like this actor as much." But I think that Santa probably would give Edmund Gwynn his his you know official seal of approval. You're right. It's probably the film that Santa would sit down and watch. I, I would think and so. Then one up to Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I bet it's one of his <laughs> favorites too. So. That'd be a hell of a night, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would. Watching a, watching a Christmas movie up at the North Pole. Right. That yeah, would be fun. I'd like that. So that's my first pick. How about you? Uh, yeah, he is brilliant. And it's also my top pick for the best big screen Father Christmas. Just, uh, as we've already said, just just nails it. And it's such a good story as well. He's got to convince... Well, he's not even trying to convince people because he's just adamant that he is right. who he says he is. Right, exactly. But he, he has that magic. It, it, what I like as well is because he doesn't... He's not the typical... He's not like a big fat guy. He's just... His guy with the beard who loves loves Christmas and what he's doing, and he knows how precious it is to children. Yep. 
well, and everybody as well. Right. And he just wants to make sure the spirit of Christmas isn't ruined. Yep. And I just think it just it just has this magic about him, that twinkle in his eye. Yeah, exactly. You just t- totally buy into it. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that he's got that twinkle in his eye, and you and you took yeah. the words right out of my mouth for the second time in this yeah, episode. That's... So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. Yeah, it's a. Uh, but uh, rightly so, he's the. Uh, He's the best. He's the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, uh, Phil, I have to say I'm heartened by your pick to see that we agree on that one because, like I said, it's one of my favorites. So so good on you, sir. Thank you. I don't think you'll you'll go with the other second one, but let's, let's hear your second one. All right. One. Well, my second one is Alec Baldwin in Rise of the Guardians. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'd forgotten about that film. Yeah, it didn't do very well, yeah. but I actually like it. It's a, it's a fun kind of, you know, it actually is similar in a way, sort of, a little bit to your After the Ending for Elf because it has, you know, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus yeah, and, yeah. and all that. And, um, but Alec Baldwin sort of plays this very, like, classic Santa Claus from, like, the Russian culture. Um, so he's, he's not your typical Santa. He's much more gruff and he's a big like hulking dude and he has this thick Russian accent. Um, it's a very tattoos as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It's an unorthodox, uh, portrayal of him, but I, I really like it. He's one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, I just, I just think that the, the look of, of Santa and the, the feel of him and the voice and everything really works really well together. So, um, you know, it's like I said, it's a fun movie. Uh, I, I like it quite a bit and uh, I, I just always thought Santa was one of the coolest parts of it. So. That's my second pick. That's no, that's a great pick. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the film, but he is a he's a brilliant Santa. I, I like, yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to see more right. of those characters because I, I I quite enjoyed the film. I don't think there'll be any more of the movies as it was quite a uh, box office yeah. underperformer. Yeah. Okay. Well, my second Father Christmas or Santa Claus is a uh, is rare export to Christmas Tale. I'm not familiar with that one. By Jalmari Helanda. It's a Finnish horror fantasy thriller film uh-huh. and it's all about it turns out what it's in this version of in the film version it's the 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 legend or the the truth about santa claus isn't what we thought and uh, it turns out this kid who's his dad's a hunter he goes out as well and if they catch something in the woods and it's a it's a strange looking man with a white beard but he's only he's like pretty much naked but they end up taking him in and he's like a feral kind of creature and it turns out there's uh, been drilling going on at a glacier and things like this. And these, these people doing this company find that there's a big something hidden in an ancient burial mound. And it turns out that the, the real Santa is this huge giant creature with like horns and things. And that what we see as the typical Father Christmas Santa Claus are actually his elves, his helpers who are actually, it's all a bit, uh, it's all a bit demented and a bit crazy. Huh. But it all en- it all ends up with them saving the day, and the uh, the little Santa Claus Father Christmas things, the old men looking ones, they end up being quite docile and end up getting shipped out in the rare exports of the title to uh, to become the Father Christmases that we see in all the shopping centres and things like that. <laughs> cool. But it's a uh, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's a, like a little twisted horror film. It's not actually that scary. It's not one to watch with your kids though. But right. it's, uh, I just I just like the way they're taking Father Christmas and twisting it a bit. And just giving it its own spin, and I just I just quite liked what they did with it. Right, cool. Yeah, uh, I have so to check it's, that it's out. Not, it's not your, yeah, it's not your, your typical Father Christmas, but it's just they've taken a good long look at all the different stories that have popped up, you know, from the different cultures, right. and just gone. Oh, let's do it this way. Oh, that's fun. I like when things, yeah. t- you know, when they take something. I like when, you know, movies or, or books or whatever take something, you know, kind of established and, and sort of twist it a little bit. You make it, you know, make yeah. it different. I always find that a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's worth worth checking out. It came out in uh, two thousand and ten. Cool. 
Very good. All right. Well, those are our picks. We would love to hear your picks. So drop us a line and tell us who your favorite on-screen Santa Clauses are. But for now, why don't we move on to our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, in which we are taking a break from our normal format. And instead, we are bringing you our top 10 Christmas films of the 1990s. Yes, the 1990s. Hmm. Yeah, sort of a a wasteland for good Christmas movies. (laughs) Yeah, because when I started doing this, I was going, yeah, oh. This Christmas movie in Czech, then it was either like the 80s or after yeah. the 90s. Uh-huh. It was such a pain. Yeah, there's a lot, and I like Christmas movies. I'm, I'm not I'm not a bah humbug about Christmas movies, but I do think there's a lot more. Well, not a more, but there's a lot of bad ones to equal the good ones. And it turns out that uh, many of them were made in the 90s. Cause, uh, but like I said, we'll see because a, a lot of the, the really popular ones are movies that I just I don't like at all. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, but we will. So, for for the sake of this list, we also have the film is set at Christmas. Yeah, it's that's going to be included. Exactly. I mean, I I tried to steer mostly to films that were about Christmas per se, but um, ultimately there are a few picks on my list that are, are like you said, more set at Christmas. But there, Christmas plays a big enough part in them that they fit on the list. You know, it's not like it's yeah. just you know, a guy walking in the snow. You know. Yeah. So, well, Phil, why don't you kick things off? Then we'll start off with some more, um, some some less controversial opinions, perhaps, before I jump into mine. <laughs> What's your number ten? Okay, my number ten is Jingle All the Way. Mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, nineteen ninety six. It's not the best film. No, it's it's not it's not Arnie's best film by a, a thing. But and the first time I saw it, I thought it was re- uh, really bad. But it's I've seen it since a few times and watched it a few times with Hannah. And I don't know why. It just, I think it catches part of Christmas that. You know that that the selfish side quite well, I suppose the best right, way of doing right. it. Right, I, I like some of the scenes which are just crazy. It's also got Phil Hartman in, who I always really liked. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's always so sad what happened to them. Uh, but no, I quite like it. I quite like watching it now. It's just it's one of those ones. You know, it's like we often say these things become a tradition. You start watching them. You have a certain few Christmas films, and it's not one I deliberately put on. But if it's on. TV at Christmas and it's on. I sit and watching and have a a bit of a chuckle at things like that. Sure, it's funnier. The second person I've heard today say that they didn't like it at first and that they have grown to enjoy it more yeah. after yeah. repeat viewing. So maybe that's my issue with it. I've never seen it more than the one time. Um, I, yeah. I didn't like the film and I have never revisited it. But maybe I will because it has been a long time. So yeah. it's it's probably worth checking out again because as I say, yeah, I've as the more times I've seen it, they sort of you start not picking up on things, but you just yeah appreciating more for what it is. Or what it isn't. Okay. It's also got the uh, a pre-Anakin Skywalker in it, a young Jake Lloyd. Right, right. In one of his few other films. Yeah. yeah. All right. I don't know if that's a selling point or not, but that's all right. I know. Yeah, <laughs> You're not, not doing a lot want, to convince right. me there, Phil. Yeah. And Simbad's in it. Oh, yeah. Just... Yeah, I'm going to run right out and watch it again now. James Belushi. Yeah. All right. All right. I like him. Yeah. All right. Well, my number ten is is it's it's sort of a cheat and sort of not. It wasn't a theatrically theatrically released film. It was a direct to video film, um, and I'm I'm showing my true colors here again. It is Mickey Mouse Once Upon a Christmas, which is an animated anthology of Christmas stories featuring all of your favorite Disney staple characters. Um, it did come out in the '90s on DVD. It was a DVD exclusive movie, um, and I do remember that it came out at a time when I was uh, just getting into my whole DVD reviewing career, and so I, I got to watch it, and it's. It's fun. It's an enjoyable enough film for what it is. Like I said, it's an anthology. Um, is that the one with uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie having like a Groundhog Day? Yeah, I think day? I think so. Yeah, it's been a I while so. since I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure that's the one. So yeah, um, I think I've seen that one. So yeah, so it's fun, and it's you know I just I couldn't bring myself to put movies that I hate on the list, so I had to sort of dig around to find some stuff that I liked, and this was one of them. So it, it it's number ten. Okay, excellent. Uh, my number nine is Die Hard Two. Very good because it's Christmas Eve once again, and John McClane foolishly you know him and his wife just you know why 
go go somewhere else, go away for the year. Just <laughs> right. don't, it's just crazy. Yeah, but it's it's the one where it's in uh, Washington Airport and Terrace. There, the you know the planes can't land. It's it's nowhere near as good as the first Die Hard, but it's set at Christmas. I enjoy it. And it's my number nine. There you go. Well, my number nine is uh, similar to my number 10 pick, and it is Beauty and the Beast and Enchanted Christmas, uh, also a direct-to-video um, animated sequel. This is the time when Disney was doing a lot of direct-to-video, like sequels to their movies and stuff. And so, Oh, yeah, they went through a phrase of yeah, that, didn't they? they did, right. live, live action nowadays. Right. And so this one is a, a special. It's set in the Beauty and the Beast world. It's set during the film. Um, so Beast is still Beast, and Belle is still kind of his prisoner, but, it, but you know, is sort of starting to come around to him. Um, and actually, for a direct-to-video sequel type of thing, it's it's you know they don't go so far as calling it an official sequel. It's more like a, a Christmas special, but it's it's relatively enjoyable. And since Beauty and the Beast is one of my favorite Disney films, I, I do have a soft spot for that for that world. So um, you know, like I said, it's it's not a classic, but it is enjoyable enough to watch, and I do I do like it. Fair enough. I've not seen that one, but uh, I'm glad they keep the have him as the Beast because he's. You watch the Beauty and the Beast because you want to see the Beast. Because as soon as he turns into the bloke, yeah, he's kind of funny going, looking. Oh, is, is that it? Yeah, I know. That it? <laughs> I've yeah. always thought that. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, my number eight is the Santa Claus. Tim Allen puts on the red suit and becomes Father Christmas. It's when he's he's put on the suit that I quite like it because for a kids' film, I always find it weird. It starts off the opening scene is Tim Allen in an office, right. at an office Christmas party. Not, it's not really very funny. There's nothing very Christmassy about it. And I just always thought that was a bit of an odd way to go. Because you go to kids, you're taking kids to see a Christmas film. You want it to be Christmassy, and it's like I think it's like a good twenty minutes right. until things start, and you're just going, "Why? Why go that way?" Yeah. But anyway, once he puts on the suit and all the things start happening, you know, and he starts changing, putting on the weight and the shaving the beard and things like that's when I quite like it. Yeah, yeah. And some, some good moments, some nice little bits, you know, using tinsel to cut through stuff and right. things like that. Right. I, I like I like the way they sort of they had a good think about what they could use Christmas Christmas bits and pieces to uh, to save the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Phil, it's been a while since we've had an exact match on our lists, but my number eight is also The Santa Claus. Yay! Yeah, so, um, you know, this is a film I didn't really love the first time that I saw it, uh, to be honest, and... um, you know, much like you, I think I had some of the same issues. Yeah. But I have warmed up to it over the years. It's still not a favorite of mine. It's not something I'm gonna I go to regularly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I certainly appreciate it more, and and I can I can watch it and enjoy it for for what it is. So, um. So yeah. So it's number eight. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm glad to see we uh, we had something matching up anyway. Yeah. Yes. Number seven is Batman Returns. Very good. Uh, Tim Burton one, 1992. Uh, this is the one with. We've got Penguin and Danny DeVito and Catwoman and Michelle Pfeiffer, who I think uh, the one good thing about the Gotham TV show, well, one of the few good things about it, because it's a bit hit and miss, yeah. but is the fact that the, the girl they've got playing the young Selena Kyle, Catwoman, she is the image of Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, as if Michelle Pfeiffer's younger, so, and she's got the curly hair and everything, so I think they've sort of they've done good casting there, so she she could grow up to be the, the uh, Selena Kyle in Batman Returns. Right, right. But uh, I, quite, I quite like it's all set at Christmas time, and you've got the, the bits, you've got the whole the, the crazy decorations in Gotham, you've got Christopher Walken being crazy, penguins going around with laser beams and... Yeah, it's a, it's Batman at Christmas on the big screen. Yeah, you know, it's funny as this was almost on my this was actually was on my list in various positions. I changed this list so many times because there's yeah, not many of these yeah. films that I can say I truly love, but um this, that was on my list for several iterations until till earlier today I actually just pulled it off um 
I've always felt like that movie's kind of a train wreck, and the only good parts yeah. about it are the Catwoman parts. And if you could, I was just about to say right, that. Yeah. If you could yeah. edit everything else out, you'd have a really good Batman movie. But unfortunately, there's all this other stuff that I really, I really hate the Danny DeVito Penguin the whole way he's brought to life. Um, so I, yeah. I just couldn't really put it on there in good conscience. But it, it almost made it. It, it. Like I said, it actually did make it a few times before I, I took it off <laughs> in my reorganizing. So <laughs> no, you're right. The right though the. Uh... Danny DeVito's Penguin, it just doesn't work. No, it really doesn't. So, okay, so what's uh, what's your number seven? All right, my number seven is A Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, it's I like the Muppets. As I've said in past episodes, I'm not an overly huge Muppet fan, but I enjoy them. And this is, you know, quite simply, it's A Christmas Carol, the, the Charles Dickens classic with Scrooge and everybody, uh, told with Muppets. And so I feel like that's a pretty good film for, uh, for kids and for families. And uh, it's done well and it's enjoyable and it's Christmassy and it's, you know, it's got cute moments and everything. So. Uh, so there it is, number seven. Nothing too groundbreaking, but it's on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> is that your uh, is that your Kermit noise? Yeah, that's all I'm willing to commit. Very good, very oh. impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> waka waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> Not Yoda. Yeah, I don't remember Yoda being in it. Oh, we're oh. back. Our impressions are back. We're getting some uh, some good old yeah. stuff coming in here. I used to be able to do Fuzzy Bear, but I can't do him anymore. Uh, well, uh, it's not yeah. really a giant <laughs> loss. <laughs> Nah, no. Okay. Uh, Thanks for that, Phil. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna have a whole episode soon of you know impressions. Oh yeah, that'll it'll will hemorrhage listeners in droves when that happens. Yeah, my after the ending, I'm just gonna do the voices for the. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gotta do a silent movie. (laughs) Yeah, we do this sequel to the artist. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, My number six is another Tim Burton film. It's Edward Scissorhands. Very good. Because even though it's all sunny skies and multicolored houses, it is set at Christmas time. Indeed, it is. There's Christmas trees, things like that. It's it's Johnny Depp and Tim Burton doing good things together. Which back in the day was, you know, they did have a good run. Oh sure. And then, but then you know things went west. But it also has one of my childhood crushes, Winona Ryder. Uh, it's good cast as well. Yeah, yeah. Alan Arkin, Anthony Michael Hall, Diane Weiss. Yeah, and also it had uh, Vincent Price in as well. Right, which is great. His last major role. Yep. But yeah, Edward Scissorhands. People probably know, it, but it's a wonderful story. Guy, you know, hands with scissors. It writes itself. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's my number six, an alternative kind of Christmas pick, but it's a Christmas film on the list. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, my number six is Jack Frost, in which Michael Keaton gets turned into a snowman. And uh, this movie is kind of unfairly maligned, in my opinion. Like, I think people, I've heard people really talk about it as if it's this, you know, just travesty of a movie. And, you know, it's, you know, he plays a dad who dies and he gets kind of reincarnated as the snowman and sort of, you know, comes to life for his son. And, and I, I watched it and I actually enjoy it. I think it's a perfectly good movie, maybe a little bit of a heavy subject matter for kids, but not for the young, yeah, young ones. Yeah. But I watched it as an adult and I, I thought it was actually perfectly good. I remember enjoying it. I thought the animation is fun. The, the concept is kind of fun. It's got some touching moments in it. Um, so maybe I'm a bit of a softie, but, you know, I like it. I like Jack Frost. What can I say? I'm not. I'm not ashamed. Mm. No, yeah, it didn't make my list, but it's yeah. I, the first time I saw it, I'd had the, the. I think it's when you hear about it first of all, you go, "What?" Right, right, yeah. Reincarnated, it. What? What's this? And you watch, but Michael Keaton, he's always he's always a spot on act. He does great things with whatever role he's got. Right. And as you say, it's very touching, and it's the moments with him and his son work really well. Yeah. And it's 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 better than a, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. To be honest, that's that's all I'm saying. Good pick. Thank you. Okay, my number five, it's a, a short film, uh-huh. short animated film based on two books written by Raymond Briggs, uh, Father Christmas and Father Christmas Goes on Holiday, and the short film is called Father Christmas, and it's basically 
about uh, what Father Christmas gets up to in between Christmas Day. He lives in a row of houses in like a, a normal street in a in a, a town in in Britain, uh, where he has the, his sled in the garage and he has he has a couple of cats and a dog and he the, the reindeers he keeps in like a stable, and he just it's basically him just going around you know uh, checking the mail writing the list and it's all it's all very down to earth and just living in this house and going on holiday going you know around europe and things like that and he's quite grumpy as well he's just going oh he's always grumbling and moaning about stuff but it's it's quite touching quite nice and he just likes to get in watch a bit of tv and have a you know have a cup of tea and things like that it's it's a very british view of it it's but it's uh it's a nice little short film sounds fun all right well my number five is jack frost Yeah, so astute viewers who've been paying attention for the last three minutes might think I'm repeating myself. But actually, there is a low-budget horror movie called Jack Frost. Oh, I'm with you. Yes, yes. And uh, actually, the first one actually stars a pre-American pie, Shannon Elizabeth. um, And uh, it is about a snowman that comes to life and starts killing people. Um, And I was obsessed with this film back in the 90s. And they actually made a sequel to it um, because I just thought the concept was really funny and it looked so incredibly cheesy and uh i rented it uh, and i watched it and it is really cheesy but it's one of those so bad it's good movies do you know what i mean like yes you watch it and you can't take it serious for a minute because it's about a snowman that you know kills people i mean actually kills somebody in a shower in a hot shower um <laughs> you know so i mean it's it's utterly ridiculous but that's what makes it so awesome you know it's just Some, sometimes that's what you want in a horror film you just want it to be stupid exactly and exactly. silly and you want you want some death you want some nudity right you want a stupid concept and there's you know that's that's so many horror films from the 80s and 90s exactly and it delivers in spades so i mean you can't go into it looking to be scared or to have a serious movie experience but if you just want to laugh at something that's really stupid yet also like derangedly awesome um then jack frost definitely fits the bill cool i like that so how does it work then when you get the hot shower does he melt and then reform or what uh i feel fast i I don't remember but he uh uh, let's just say some inappropriate things happen (laughs) (laughs) involving a carrot i was gonna say the carrot. yeah Yeah. so (laughs) moving swiftly on yes moving on Yes, back well, back to your your uh, elf ending there. Aren't right, we? right, exactly. <laughs> Dangerous territory. Okay, my number four. You've already mentioned it. Is the the Muppet Christmas Carol? Oh, good. Uh, with Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge and Gonzo is Charles Dickens, isn't he? You know? Yes, yes, I believe I think so. he's racing it. Yeah, but it's uh, it's. I mean, the Christmas Carol's been remade so many times, and this the Muppets are bound to get around to it sooner or later. And they did it in 1992. It's an enjoyable one, but it's a Christmas Carol, but it's a bit funnier. Yeah. A few songs. Yeah, very good. Uh, if you like the Muppets, you like this. Exactly. All right, well, my number four is Miracle on 34th Street. And as we discussed a few minutes ago, uh, the original Miracle on 34th Street is one of my favorite movies of all time. And while I did not think they needed to remake it, uh, I still don't think they needed to remake it, uh, I did go see it simply because I you know, love the original so much that I had to sort of see the remake. And it, it uh, stars uh, um, Richard Attenborough, and it has uh, Dylan McDermott in it. And it, you know... It doesn't live up to the original. It's it's not as good of a movie, nor does it come close. It doesn't have the magic of the original. But, A, it's not that bad either. I mean, it's such a great story that even in a lesser version, it's still enjoyable. Yeah, and, fair. B, compared to many of the movies that were out in the 90s, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic compared to some of the other 90s Christmas movies. So um, I'll always watch the original over this one, but... Again, it's it's really not that bad. It's enjoyable enough because it's a, it's a version of a story that I love. Very good. A good pick. Uh, my number three 
is Home Alone, the John, uh, written and produced by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, we all know the, the story. Macaulay Culkin is left behind when his family go away to Paris, and he has a great time, but then a couple of thieves, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, break in, and Macaulay Culkin lays all sorts of traps. Uh, it's it's one of those ones, initially I I found Macaulay Culkin irritating, but then the bit, it's, it's, it, it always, you know, I mean, most people who watch it, probably it's the bit when the, the thieves are breaking in that you watch it for because then it gets funny it's all the slapstick daniel stern's scream when he stamps on the nail and gets the spider on his face is brilliant joe pesky with the all you know the reactions that's when it's good but it also has some lovely christmasy bits in uh i love the speech with the old man next door and things like that there's some some nice christmas moments some touching moments surprising uh you just need to get over the whole macaulay culkin mugging to the camera but i i, I put it on i watch it now and but like Hannah or my mum and dad and whatever, and just just have a, just end up laughing so much at the end, at the last you know the last third of the film. Well, coincidentally, my number three is not Home Alone because I really hate that movie. Yeah, no. um, <laughs> I uh, I you know I remember seeing it when it came out. It was it was a, such a huge success, and I didn't want to see it because I thought it looked terrible, frankly. And I, I but it kept making money and money and money and money. And I remember when it displaced Return of the Jedi as the number three film grossing film of all time uh, obviously that's changed oh, yeah. by now but at the time i remember there was an ad in variety that lucasfilm took out with um r2d2 and c3po and i think they were wearing like christmas caps or something saying congratulations home alone on you know beating our record and i was so incensed by this because it's star wars and then you have this movie home alone which you know and I, so i finally went and saw it just to kind of see what everyone was you know what was so great about it, and oh, it was terrible. I hated it, and I still do to this day. Um, and I'm a huge John Hughes fan, so I don't know, you know, what didn't work for me on that, but I just, I just don't like it. So yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is surprising it was as successful as it was. To be yeah, honest. I mean, certain movies just do that. You know what I mean? They just capture yeah. something that people want at that time, and this was definitely one of them. But I've just yeah. never, never taken a shine to that film at all. So. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of it is to do though for that that last. It's the last moment. It's when the, the guys break in. Oh sure, sure, it's, yeah. It's going back to all the classic, you know, the silent movie things as well. Right, right. But it's good to see that Home Alone had such a huge influence that, uh, you know, they did it in James Bond, <laughs> in Skyfall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where they got that from. Uh huh. And I love that part in James in Skyfall when James Bond puts the aftershave on and then goes ah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the bit I'm talking yeah, that's about. Great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that is that is classic James Bond right there. Uh, it's no, it's just it's just the end, and he's in the house, and he's doing all these little traps and things, and you're going, "It's Home Alone, for God's sake!" <laughs> Except James you Bond's know that Home Alone wasn't the first story to do that, right? I know, but <laughs> it's just the way he does it, and you know, he's, then you've got you know Joe Pesky coming in, and, right? Yeah, you know, I think I might be getting them things mixed yeah, up. Maybe a little. Yeah. Anyway, but Judy Dench was good in Home Alone. Uh, yes, yes, fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, my number three is a film that has already appeared on your list, and it is Edward Scissorhands. Uh, and like you said, it's an unconventional Christmas movie, but it is a Christmas movie nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was one of the first films from Tim Burton that I really liked. We just talked about him last week. I've had a very love hate relationship with him, but yeah, I think lots of people do. I do enjoy Edward Scissorhands, you know, very much. Um, it's just, you know, it's a fun film and I, I like the sort of tale of this kind of outsider and, you know, it's very quirky and very Tim Burton, but it, it works very well for me. Yeah. I mean, it's not often you can get a modern day set. Well, whenever it is set, but it's still, you know, a fairy tale set in the modern kind of world. Right. Exactly. And have, and have it work. Yes. yes agreed. Yeah. So that's my, that's my number three. Okay. My number two is one you've already mentioned. It's the, uh, 
Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, good. Apparently, it's the fourth remake, the second theatrical version right. of the original right. film. As, as, as you said, it's it's not a patch on the original, but it's for the 90s, it's still a damn good Christmas movie. Right. Of what we had there. It does, it does have some of the, you know, it has some of the similar kind of moments. Richard Attenborough's great. The bits when he's, you know, with the kids and he's doing the sign language with the... Uh, the deaf girl's really, really nice. Yeah. There's, lot, there's lots of nice little scenes, some good characters. And I think they did a good job with it. I agree. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. Very good. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, so what about your number two? All right, well, my number two is a film that has already appeared on your list, and it is Die Hard 2. Hey! <laughs> you, you stole some of my thunder early there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, like everything you said about it is true. It doesn't live up to the first one, but it is set at Christmas time. It's still a fun action film. Again, compared to most of the 90s Christmas movies, it certainly is a head and shoulders above them. And, you know, I just the Die Hard movies were a part of my you know, movie-going life as a, yeah, as a yeah. young man. So uh, it'll always hold a special place in my heart, if you will. So yeah. that's my number two. And I think I have a feeling I know what your number one is based on your after-the-ending. So, but uh, let's, <laughs> go ahead and, let's go ahead and hear it anyway. What's this? What's this? There's magic in the air. Yes, it is. Uh, my number one is A Nightmare, oh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is always called Timber, or also known as Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. But for people out there, it wasn't directed by Tim Burton. It was directed no, by Henry Selleck. Henry Let's get that right. right. Yeah. Yeah, Tim Burton just produced it and yeah. created it and all that, but Henry yeah. Selleck actually directed it. Yeah, he's the one who did it. So, you know, let's always ask me a little bit there. I know it's Tim Burton's idea, did all the sketches and things, but Henry Selleck was the director. So let's Do get... you think Henry Selleck, like, hates Tim Burton you know, <laughs> because, like, everyone thinks he directed it? I don't know. It's probably one of those things where he's people ask him, he goes, no, it's fine, it's fine. But, you know, and he's just uh, he's probably just going, geez, you know, I did direct it. You know what I, I can picture happening, though, is people are like, oh, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. Like, oh, what movies have you directed? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I, I directed The Night Before, Nightmare Before Christmas. And they're like, you're a liar. Yeah. Tim Burton directed yeah. that movie. Yeah, how you dare can't you? fool me. What a jerk. Yeah. You know? Hey, this guy here, he said he's there. Yeah, right? Hey, listen, everybody. This guy here says he directed Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's putting, putting in for a new you know, directing gig on a film. They go, what else right. you don't have me? Oh yeah, you know what? Well, he has actually done quite a few good films. He's done, he did Coraline. Right. Yeah, what else? James and Giant Peach, Monkey Bone. Yep. He's a hell of a guy in his yeah. uh, in the stop motion world. Yep. Yep. But yeah, so uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Jack Skellington. He learns about Christmas and he wants a bit of it. So Santa gets kidnapped. We have some great tunes. We have some great designs. We have some great direction. Thanks, Henry. Uh, some great. It's a good voice cast as well. Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Paul Rubens, uh, lots of others. Uh, it's just great. I mean, you can also—it's good as well because you can watch it Halloween. It's, all, it's a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie. How there's right. not, not many others, even the Christmas horror ones, which can do that crossover. But I, yeah. I really like it. It's always good fun to watch, and it's also—it's quite short as well. There you go. So you can just whack it on, yeah, and make a cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there there are a few movies that I, I hate more than Home Alone, but Nightmare Before Christmas is definitely definitely one of them. The only good thing about that movie is that it's short. Uh, yeah. Like you said, um, and I know that's not what a happened to popular... you, Mike? What happened back at Christmas? <laughs> Listen, here's the thing: when Nightmare Before Christmas came out, I was so excited to see it because I thought it looked amazing. I, I love the stop motion. I still think the design of the Jack Skellington character is fantastic. Yeah, like I would, yeah. I would love to own some of the Jack Skellington merchandise that's out there because it's so cool looking. Except that I hate the film so much, um, and I, you know, I think it looks amazing. And so I went to see it on opening night in theaters, and I was all excited. I was, I mean, I was like championing that movie. And um, and then I watched it, and I oh boy, I just 
everything about it I hated from start to finish. And uh-huh. I know it's so popular and so beloved and everyone right now is like <laughs> turning off their headphones or whatever, like just cursing my name, you know, yelling up to the sky. But um, and, I, you know, I hadn't seen it for a really long time because I disliked it so much. And then a few years ago when it came out on Blu-ray or whatever, I, I, I was like, you know what? I need to give this another chance because – Obviously, I didn't like it at the time. It's been 20 years. I need to rewatch it because everyone loves it, and there must be something that I'm missing. And I watched it again, and I hated it every bit as much <laughs> as I did the first time I watched it. I just can't stand that movie. Uh, you know, sorry. you know what? If Henry Selleck is listening to this, he's been on a roller coaster of emotion, hasn't he? He's been going, "Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, this guy right. likes it." And I'm making sure that you know I directed it, and then oh, but then Mike comes on, he's got oh. Why? Listen, oh. I put all the blame on that one on on Tim Burton because it's all his it's all his you know his <laughs> concepts. I think Henry Selleck's a talented director, but just not from that movie. Well, I just don't like it. Well, I I loved it. You didn't like it. Well, you no, hated it. No, okay, I think it then. looks great, but not not my thing. Fair enough, though. It's nothing worse than when you're really looking forward to a film and then you you can't stand it. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to love that one. So but okay. Anyway, so well, what's what's your number one? It doesn't matter because no one's listening anymore. They've all turned off the podcast. <laughs> well, I want to know. Forget this. Yeah, Henry's, Henry's uh, well, just got in touch. He says he wants to know as well. If it's edited by Tim Burton, though, he's he's never listening again. <laughs> That's understandable. I've been a little <laughs> hard on Tim Burton in the past few weeks. Um, well, anyway, uh, my number one pick is a victim of unfortunate timing because I just uh, went on about it at length last week, and it is The Ref yeah. um, starring Dennis Leary and Kevin Spacey. I know you haven't seen it yet, but you got to watch it before Christmas, Phil. I know. I'm trying to get um, hold of it, actually. Well, it's, I'm not having much joy at the minute. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. It's 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 so good. I, I really I covered it in depth last week, but it's a great Christmas movie. It's, it's incredible. Incredibly funny. It's very acerbic. Dennis Leary is great. Kevin Spacey is great. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really funny movie. It's a great movie when you're a little tired of all the sort of, you know, you know, I love a good, like, treacly Christmas movie full of cheer. And I love all the Hallmark Christmas movies and all, you know, the cheesier the better. But when you're tired of all those, then you put in the ref. And it's just a real, like, gut punch of, of sarcastic, you know, you know, dark, funny, witty humor that is is not PG rated at all. It's an R rated film for for good reason, and I love it. So, that's my number one Christmas film of the '90s, and probably one of my number one of my favorite Christmas films of all time. Excellent. Okay, I definitely need to check that out. The ref. Yes, I'll be I'll be anxious to hear what you think about it when you do see it. Well, so. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it, much like you were with the Nightmare Before Christmas. So we will. Oh see yeah, it. yeah. Hopefully your your hopes won't be dashed like mine were. Let's see who directed it. Henry Selleck directed it as well. Oh yeah, that would be that would be something. All right, well, those are our top ten movies, uh, Christmas movies of the '90s. If you're still listening and you have not, uh, you know, uh, given up on me, uh, and you have some different opinions about your top ten Christmas movies, we would love to hear them. So drop us a line. Um, now we have some uh, some 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 bonus episodes coming up with the holidays and New Year's. Things get a little crazy. So uh, here's what's going to happen: we are going to have the next three episodes are going to be bonus episodes. Uh, we're going to have Quizmaster Deathmatch return. Yeah, so it's cool. Only level at three all. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna break that tie by the mm. end of the year. You will know who the current victor is. Uh, we also gonna have some great interviews for you with some really talented actors and some names you've definitely heard of. So don't give up on us. Keep please keep checking back for those bonus episodes. And then when we come back in the new year, we're gonna start things off with a barnstormer of an episode. Phil, tell people what movies we're going to be talking about 
in that episode. Hold on to your hats. We're going to be going after the ending of Jack Frost and Jack Frost. <laughs> it's going to be a Christmas Jack Frost double feature. Yeah. I, I who, can't wait for that. Who's going to win the Battle of Jack Frost? <laughs> no, no. We're going to be doing uh, after the endings for Ghostbusters 2. Can't wait for that. Yeah, which uh, which will be a good one. We're not talking about the, the recent Ghostbusters. We're talking about, you know, the sequel to the original Ghostbusters, right. the one with the uh, Statue of Liberty. And, yeah, we want to know what happened to, to Venkman and, yeah. you know, Ray and all those guys. Yeah, and we're also going to be doing a little film based on a, a book, which I think it did all right, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a little movie you may have heard of. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so two classics, or at least, you know, a classic and a sequel to a classic. I know there was a, there was a sequel to the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, which came out last year, I think, or the year before. Right. But we're not, uh, I've not read that. No, we haven't caught up with that yet, so we're going to go strictly off the movie. Yeah, and I'm also going to do our top 10 films of this year. Top 10 films of 2016. Yeah, so it's that time of year. you got to review this year's movies, and when better to do it than right at the end when it's fresh in our minds. And we've seen, you know, hopefully all the the big releases and the small releases, and we will be sharing our – so it'll be kind of a year in review episode as well as some – really great after the ending so so that'll be coming at you right after the new year Uh, make sure you uh, stick with us through then for our bonus episodes but definitely come back and check that out we will be back to uh to attack these after the endings with renewed vigor in the new year i think yeah i mean (laughs) to kill a mockingbird crikey that's a heck of a lot to take on no pressure there no pressure there yeah (laughs) i might gonna i think i'm gonna have them turn into like a wandering samurai Oh, that's yeah. I think that would fit in perfectly. <laughs> Just flows naturally. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, why don't you tell people how they can find us on social media so they can uh, share their thoughts with us? Yeah, get in touch with us on Twitter at after underscore the ending and facebook.com slash after the ending podcast. And don't forget, we're still having our contest uh, where you can be the winner and determine what shows we're going to talk about or what movies we're going to talk about in a future episode. You can pick a movie for us to discuss in our mini feature where we will have fun talking about one of your favorite movies. All you have to do, go to iTunes, leave us a review, grab a quick screen cap, email it to us at after the ending at verizon.net and you'll be entered to win we will be drawing two prizes so two people will have a chance to to have a movie discussed by us um, most creative review and one drawn at random so no matter what you do you will be entered automatically but you do have to go to iTunes and leave us a review so you can enter to win that contest that's right and by now if you've been if you're a regular listener you'll know what kind of films we like or dislike or which directors we like and dislike so you can make it really hard for us by picking films that we detest. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes, indeed. You could have us do uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and Home Alone double feature, which would be super awesome. Yeah, I'll have us do Inception. And, uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure people will probably pick a film we haven't talked about yet. But yeah, it's, no, up to the, no. it's up to the listeners. Whatever they pick yeah. is what we're going to do. But uh, anyway, so that is that is uh, that contest. Feel free to enter that. Hopefully we'll get some great entries, and we are looking forward to that. In the meantime, though, this is about the time where we sign off. Before we do that, though, I would like to wish everybody out there a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Whichever holiday you celebrate, we hope it is enjoyable and happy and safe and healthy. And, uh, and Phil, Merry Christmas to you as well. And Merry Christmas to you, Mike. And Merry Christmas to all the listeners out there. Merry Holiday. Merry time doing whatever you're doing. Have a good week. You know, don't eat too much. Don't drink too much. And if you do drink, don't drive. That's right. So, because <laughs> if you drink and drive, yeah. you may end up. Uh, you you up don't want one of these guys coming up. To you, That's you know, right. So. 
That's right. Very topical. I like it. All right. So, uh, Merry Merry to everybody. Thank you all for listening to us for, uh, for this year. We've really appreciated having you along for the ride. And uh, for now, I am Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. All right. Well, Buddy is overwrought. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's so overwrought. He can't speak clearly, apparently. <laughs> <clears throat> while we're waiting to hear how that ends, Phil, why don't you give us your, uh, your long term? Right. Okay. Well, while we're waiting for to hear how... Meh, meh, meh. Go on. Finish your candy cane and then get the words <laughs> out. Right. Too much eggnog today, apparently. That's it. Yeah. So, Phil... Oh, with my notes. So, Phil... Okay. <laughs> so, Phil... Can I? Can I? Yeah. Okay. Go on, go, go, All go. Right. So, Phil, why don't you... I'll stop you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I could go I, you know, there. I should have been expecting Austin that. Powers now. I should have been expecting that, and I wasn't. Go on. All right. Are you sure? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Phil... Oh, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> You're a real son of a bitch sometimes. Uh, you know I, love, that, right? I love the I love the comedy torch, which just goes on that uh-huh. you know too far. Yeah, yeah, and it's not funny anymore. Right, right. But then let's, if you keep doing it, it gets funny again. Right. Let's not get to that point, though, shall we? Because yeah, you got to do it for okay. ages. All right. <laughs> See now, now I'm waiting for it though. So, <clears throat> so Phil, why don't you tell? No, people- I won't do it anymore. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. I promise that's it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh, okay. Crikey. <laughs> so, Phil, why don't you tell people what today's mini feature is all about? This is called... Well, you see, it's... A... Sorry. <laughs> I just had to get oh, you back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to have to... Yeah, because it's... What? I'm just talking. <laughs> Spit it out, man. Yeah. Spit it out. <laughs> I just had an idea. Oh, yeah? What's uh, that? No, for, for my after the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll table that until we're done recording. Yeah.